As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff, and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com forward slash league show. Gold Buendia, Burton the return looks like a hassle for Jimmy, and Bradley Dax back and crack one in. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Hello listener, another week, another plethora of DFL stories for us to delve into. Matt Davis-Adams here, joined once again by winger-turned-tactics guru Adrian Clark. Hello. Hello. Goal-getter-turned-pundit Sam Parkin is also here. Hi Sam. Uh, good afternoon, Matthew. And broadcaster par excellence, Kelly Summers. Welcome back, Kelly. Hello, hello. I'm sad to be on on a week where Watford have lost. I thought that I'd agreed with producer (laughs) Abby. This was only going to happen, me appearing on here when Watford won, but it's not happening as often as I'd like. (laughs) We'll get to Watford soon enough. First, though, it's time for this. Performance of the weekend. Yes, performance of the week time. 15 seconds per contestant. What a word that is, contestant. Love it. Uh, To convince the Twitter sphere that your chosen team produced the best display at this weekend past. Uh, Sam, I'm going to let you go first this week. You've picked Carlisle United. Your 15 seconds start now. Yeah, a very efficient performance on a difficult pitch where they had to mix things up long and short. A day to remember for debutant Taylor Charters. Magnificent in midfield. Had a hand in both the goals. And this was all done without the talisman. John Mellish strikes from Amari Patrick and Josh Coyote taking the <laughs> top of the tree. Very good. Would it like some sort of Charters waters or Charters accounting for a win? I spent maybe. five minutes on uh, Chris Beach gag, but couldn't find anything, <laughs> especially given the, uh, the weather. So I went top of the tree, still Christmas. Good stuff, yeah, yeah, nice. Um, Kelly, you've picked Stevenage. You are thoroughly convinced that they are the performers of the week. Um, so your 15, seconds no to, your 15 seconds to persuade the listeners starts now. A big win for Borough in the battle at the bottom. They ended 2020 with a record of two wins in 21 and it looked like it was going to continue. They conceded after just five minutes, but Charlie Carter's brace turned it around before a stoppage time goal sealed it. Confidence is flowing back to back wins and they 
Grass the drop zone. Much improved that on your on your debut on this. I still didn't actually get in everything I wanted. It, it shows that I really don't know how many words fit into fifteen seconds. Uh, let's see if Clarky does. He has gone for Oxford United. Your fifteen seconds start now. Yep, 5-1, and the Oxford fullbacks were on fire. Sam Long claimed a hat-trick of assists. Josh Ruffle struck a perfect ping, and then up top, Taylor and Shadipo were different gravy. The U's are playing with swashbuckle, swashbuckle and swagger at the moment. No wonder Hasselbank opted to leave the caretakers in charge. Got Shadipo right, but then stumbled on swashbuckle, but timing Well, the, 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 the stumble just, just it timed it nicely for it me, did. didn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. No, that was good. Uh, I've chosen Forest. Uh, my 15 seconds start now. Uh, the obvious choice, the two-time European champions ending Preston's three-match winning streak, demonstrating ruthless efficiency. Lewis Grabant scoring a nailed-on pen whilst hitting the ball twice to double the red shots on target quota for the day. Vive La Reva Houghton! How the mighty yeah. have fallen, eh, Adrian? Blimey. <laughs> <laughs> Clutching. <laughs> yeah, not sure I'm even convincing myself with that, but head to at the Totally Show on Twitter to vote. Okay, it's time to pay a visit to our old friend, the Championship. Well, the fans who are back in the ground today for the first time are making a lot of noise, despite being spread out all the way from pitch side to the uh, highest tier. Yeah, I'm not sure they should be there, Mark. Uh, why is that, Steve? Well, you're not allowed to watch a game in the highest tier, are you? Uh... Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy Power's offers are at full capacity. If one leg of your 4 plus fold Acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football and all markets. The Acker Cracker from Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines, Buendia's beauty beats Barnsley to keep Norwich top. Made a great run into the penalty, Buendia first time, that's a lovely finish! Swans hot on Canary's wings after besting Watford. Big wins at the bottom for Forest and Wednesday. Rumour has it Tim Sherwood is in line to take over at QPR. Uh, one word reaction to that, Sam? Stop being silly. <laughs> More than one word, but uh, made your feelings pretty clear. Also, COVID outbreaks at Bristol City and Luton saw their games postponed. We'll start there with the game that Kelly doesn't want to. Swansea 2, Watford 1. The Swans swoop into second. Watford were ahead after a Tom Cleverley goal, but Jamal Lowe's brace got Swansea the win. Uh, before we talk Watford, we've got to talk, Sam, about Jamal Lowe's excellent celebration in front of Ben Foster's GoPro for his YouTube account. If that doesn't sum up modern football in one sentence, I don't know what does. Yeah, it's good stuff, wasn't it? I'd imagine a few players have been wanting to carry that off when they've been facing Watford and Ben Foster. So I was a bit surprised Ben Foster done a tweet after the game of his facial expression, not from the game, but basically just a facial expression saying, um, will he include Jamal Lowe's celebration or not on his uh, his next YouTube video? So the Watford fans probably didn't take that too well. Um, but Jamal Lowe surprising me because I thought Swansea's deficiency was going to be the lack of a out-and-out goal scorer. So he's doing brilliantly. Uh, the first goal wonderfully taken second one got a bit of good fortune not sure if it came off his shoulder or maybe slightly glanced the defender but bowl accounts a brilliant Swansea win so we'll have to wait and see what Ben Foster's got in store this week <laughs> did you see who came off the Swansea bench as well Sam uh, Morgan Gibbs White yeah so look that's what, what a bonus that is 
They're contenders, do you think, Adrian? Yeah, definitely. Um, not favourites, but but contenders for sure. And and with Gib White, Gibbs White coming back in, it gives gives the manager so many more options. He used Corey Smith, I noticed, as the one behind the two in this game and, and, and has done that. And that gives the team a bit more solidity against the better teams like Watford. He's got Jan Danda, who's, who's the sort of maverick option that, that is capable of, of brilliance on his day. But for me, Morgan Gibbs-White is, is the full package um, that can run in behind. He can he can prompt from deep. Yeah, that I mean, it's a cliche. He is going to be like a new signing. And, and yeah, I think they're definitely in with a shout. New pitch is like a new signing as well, I suppose. It's going to help with their brand of football, isn't it? In terms of Watford then, Kelly, not not a great afternoon all round for, for the vets with, with Foster maybe culpable for at least one of the goals and, and Troy Deeney volleying over a good chance to, to level things up. And it's not been a great week, has it? Started brilliantly with the, with the win against Norwich, but, but Etienne Capoue has left. How, how big a miss is he going to be for the rest of the season? I'm really glad you highlighted that, actually, Matt, because I think it's kind of gone a little bit under the radar. I actually tweeted this week that he's going to be a bigger miss than we realised. He often fell in Decore's shadow, and don't get me wrong, Decore's a brilliant footballer, but Decore was always a better midfielder when Kapu was in the team. It was all about the partnership, and most Watford fans that watch regularly will know that. It's his passing range and his creativity that we missed. There was only one change from that big win over Norwich, and it really showed because we didn't have that player that could transition from defence into attack, could ping the ball from left to right with such ease and drive forward at the defence um, of the other team. And I think it really, really showed. We've struggled all season with breaking teams down with the transitional play. And um, we've missed Will Hughes being back as well. And the sooner he's back and fit and playing regularly will be better. But he's going to be a huge miss. We, at the moment, we just really are. I think the phrase is less than the sum of our parts. I don't quite know what our identity is. Is we talked about Ben Foster there. Obviously, Troy Deeney's been on his uh, radio program again this week, which I have no issue with as long as he's performing on the pitch. And he actually said in that, it was interesting, he said, We've got to remember that changing managers, as I know Watford do it a lot, so yes, maybe they should be used to it, but we've completely changed the way we're playing again. They're really defensive under Ivic. And again, the defence on the whole was good against Swansea, but now they're trying to be more creative and they're still kind of finding this identity under yet another new manager. So yeah, it's going to take a little bit of time, but unfortunately they just don't have time. And on a weekend where all of the other teams won, we're already 10 points with a game in hand behind Norwich. And some of the players earlier this season came out and said, we want automatic promotion. Well, they've kind of got to find the performances and the results to back it up because it's not happening consistently enough at the moment. Um, we haven't spoken to you since the managerial change. I know you're a big fan of, of Zisco Munoz's interim spell in charge of Pablo Mafumet. Uh, what, what did you make of the decision to make the change? Um, I understood it, actually. And um, I had a joke with uh, someone recently. They said, you always say you understand the change. Ultimately, changing managers, the last few times it's happened, Watford have needed to. My issue comes with what do Watford want? What do the hierarchy at Watford want from a manager? Because in the summer, I understood the appointment of Ivic. Um, it didn't work out with Pearson, um, whatever happened there. I understood Ivic. Serbian looked like he was going to come in and get underperforming players in their place. Maybe there had been too much player power at the club for too long. He was going to make us defensive. We'd, not, we'd ship too many goals in the Premier League. But he wasn't getting the best out of the players. I did his penultimate game. I think it was his penultimate game earlier in December away at Birmingham, where we started with four defensive midfielders away at Birmingham. With some of the creative players we have got, with Ishmael Assar, with Troy Deeney and Andre Gray are under fire this week because they aren't performing. Yes, they're not. I'm sure they want to be scoring more goals. 
but to go and play with four defensive midfielders away at Birmingham who were struggling at the time as well, I think that was kind of showing, hold on, we're not making the most of this squad. The owners have kept the squad together. So I understood the change. I understood wanting to bring in an attacking manager. But when you look at Ivic, even look at photos of both of them, Ivic, Munoz, you couldn't get two polar opposites. So that leaves me to question what kind of manager the board want. Or maybe they just look at it and go, OK, we thought we wanted this, but it didn't work. Um, but yeah, we kind of, it feels like we go in this cycle where we get the new manager bounce, then we actually decide we want the other type of manager. So I don't know. Um, it's worked for a long time, but obviously the form in the last 18 months or so show it's maybe not working so well anymore. Well, there'll be another one <laughs> along shortly. I on knew you wouldn't be able to resist saying that. <laughs> um, let's head to Huddersfield next. Another 2-1 come from behind win. Reading the victors after a Lucas Schwal brace, the second of which was a Lucas Wow. He turned to create space for himself. Wow, wow, wow. Lucas Schwal. What a strike from distance. Uh, he's back with a bang, Clarkie, the Portuguese. He'd missed five games. We've spoken all season about Reading's form being up and down, but he's clearly the key man, certainly one of. Well, he made the difference in this game, didn't he? Uh, stunning strike for the second goal. The first goal, he just bullies the the young defender off of the ball. And uh, yeah, Edmunds Green it was. He just sort of used his strength and his body very cleverly. To score that one, and and look, yeah, it was uh, he. He was definitely the difference between the two sides. I think Reading caught Huddersfield at the right time. Um, I was interested to see Carlos Corbran as 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 followed Marcelo Bielsa's lead. I don't know if you spotted this. He's, he's picked the same team for five games running over Doesn't Christmas. Change his trousers either. <laughs> no, exactly. He's, <laughs> he's he's basically just copying uh, Bielsa, isn't he? Uh, by by trying to play the same team every week. I think over Christmas in the Championship, that's that's maybe a mistake. Um, this was a slightly more tired performance. Um, but as far as Reading concerned, when they've got their best players fit and available, they're a match for anyone. We've we've seen that. And and interestingly, this was the first time that Swift, Ajaria, and Joao have started together since the first two games of the season, both both 2-0 victories, incidentally. And it's the first time that Ajaria Swift, Zhao and Aluko have started together um, this season. And, and I think it showed that these, these are top-class players at that level and that they can cause damage if they stay fit. It was also, Sam, the first time that Reading have come from behind to win a game. And that's important, I assume, having never played professional football, uh, for, for a squad you know, to prove to yourselves that you've got that kind of resolve to be able to, to get yourself out of trouble, which will be necessary over the course of 46 league games. Yeah, um, I think that was one of the criticisms in the early part of the season, um, not being able to come from behind uh, and also not creating enough chances, you know, being ridiculously... Um, unbelievably thorough when they get in front of goal and um yeah that that's obviously tailed off a little bit so i think that was a it was a big moment at the weekend and i think the manager said as much um probably their most complete performance i think were his words and completely agree with adrian when you look at swift coming back omar richards available even puskas on the bench as well yeah i think we have to start thinking about reading certainly cementing themselves in those playoffs. I don't think they're going to make automatic, but uh, the people that think they're going to fall away, I don't see that now. I saw, saw a lot of quality going forward in that performance and a defensive steal that maybe has been been missing in the last few weeks. But yeah, I agree with everything Clarky said. Probably a good time to play Huddersfield, but I think there's signs of great progress there. I think he probably came in where he had to streamline the squad somewhat, play more attractive football, 
um, stabilise Huddersfield this season. I think he's doing probably everything that he's been asked to do. If he can add one or two in January, who knows? Probably not this year for Huddersfield, but looking good. A managerial appointment that's going well that um, some other teams will be looking at and, uh, and regretting <laughs> that they didn't go for him, Kelly. <laughs> when you look at that top six now, we talk about Reading, obviously they kind of looked like they were going. They started the season really, really strongly. Then they had that little blip. When I look at that top six in the table as it stands, I'm clinging on to this saying Watford are in still in there because they're in sixth. That for me it are the six strongest teams in the championship at the moment. Norwich, Swansea, Bournemouth, Brentford, Reading, I think we have to include in there, and Watford. Watford are the ones I'm worried about. But I think they're the teams now. I think the division is starting to take shape a little bit. Obviously, we know the championship is crazy, but that's just what it feels like now. These teams have had to overcome a bit of adversity, the likes of Reading, and I think it kind of showed that in that performance. I think I think they're very much on for a top six finish. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. I've done a bit of digging, Matt, on on comeback uh, comebacks for Reading, because Paunovic referenced the fact that it's a long-standing issue. He is right. Um, first time they've done it this season, come from behind to win. Last season, they did it twice in 25 matches where they fell 1-0 behind. That's poor. The season before that, they did it once in 19 matches where they fell 1-0 behind. And the season before that, they didn't do it at all in 25 matches where they fell behind. So that makes a grand total of four comeback wins uh, from 78 1-0 deficits, which is shocking. So so they need to... Um, to build on what, what they produced uh, in the last game. Uh, let's go on to Millwall 1, Coventry 2. Some leapfrogging between the two teams after the Sky Blues victory. Uh, let them all come down to the den as they sing at Millwall. If <laughs> what is comes that? Down. There's my 2021 highlight already. <laughs> go down to the den, Sam. You did it. And, and you leave with points if you're in a wayside. They've only won once at home this season and, and they were pretty shocking here, certainly in the first half. I think my sister saw me play football twice in my whole career and one of them was at Mill and she still sings that song to this day. Loved it. <laughs> Loved her afternoon in South London. Only came back to watch me play once more though. Um, sorry, Matt, what was the question? Uh, Mill like? rubbish, first half particularly. Oh, um, they were dreadful. And I think sometimes you can make statements and you can be rubbish. And honestly, Mill, there's no way in a million years they'd have won one game at home in the championship if the supporters had been there. There is no way. And they make such a difference, especially when you're playing against the, the bigger sides as well. And maybe lads that haven't experienced the atmosphere, young boys, so on. So it's a big problem at the moment. In terms of the tactical setup, I think they're more of a counter-attacking side. So I think away from home, they'll continue to win the odd game. But he's got a big problem in the home matches. And on Saturday, I've not seen them so disorganised, so poor with the ball. The two centre-halves who... Been shining lights for a number of seasons, Hutchison and, and Cooper all over the place. Cooper nearly had a hat trick in the, the wrong end. Um, and that summed up his performance, really. Coventry, with that box midfield, back to the box midfield, just had such an overload in there. And I'm sure we've all played in games at whatever level. And when it feels the opposition have got an extra player, and I'm watching it and I'm thinking, they cannot get anywhere near Coventry. And I think it, was, it wasn't about the endeavour. Maybe a little bit, but it was about their quality with the ball and it was about the tactical matchup between the two sides. And I knew that Gary Rout was going to have to react at halftime because Coventry could have been four or five nil up. And he went three, four, three. And they were better. Troy Parrott made a difference and Kenneth Zahor made a, a difference as well. That's the, the one bright 
moment for them, really, that Zahor's back involved, and he did pretty well. But gave them to, uh, such a mountain to climb that um, they, they weren't able to retrieve any points. So, yeah, there's going to be big pressure on Gary Rowett. No getting away from that. Because if you're not winning games or getting points at the Den, uh, if the supporters were there, it would be a real, real tough moment for him right now. So they need a result and they, and they need it quickly. But, yeah, credit to, to Coventry because they've been uh, very shy in front of goal. I think it was four games without a goal and thoroughly deserved their win. Yeah, pressure on, on Gary Rowett then, Kelly, but worth doing again, as we've done a few times on this show, giving some praise to, to Mark Robbins. They haven't been in great form coming into this game, but in terms of a, a newly promoted side, they've got to be pretty happy with, with how the season's gone for them so far. And they up in up in 16th, seven points away from danger at the moment. That, that's pretty decent. Yeah, you certainly do. It was their first win since mid-December, Matt, but it felt like that was the first time we've seen what they were like last season. I thought O'Hare and Shipley were brilliant just in behind the striker. Seven points and six teams now between them and the relegation zone, given the form that they've been in before. To go and put in a performance, yes, we can talk about the fact that Millwall haven't been as good at home. I thought Millwall were really lethargic as well, to add to all of the other negative words Sam just used against the, uh, against the men. I thought they were lethargic, which is something we just haven't seen from Millwall teams in recent years. If there's one thing you can guarantee from the Lions, it's that they're going to kind of get in other teams' faces. But we just didn't see that. And the fact that Matty Godden came off after 15 minutes and they still bounced back, and they were just so dominant. So yeah, I really enjoyed watching them. Um, and I think now... They can almost start looking up. So yeah, plenty, plenty of praise deserved for Mark Robbins for sure. Lastly, on this game, Clarky, this is a, a real problem for Gary Rowett, isn't it? Because after Stoke, he needed this job to go well. It, it, if he loses it, he might struggle to get back into the championship for a while. Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's an interesting show. I, I do rate Gary Rowett. I think he's a, a really solid championship level manager. Tactically, he's pretty switched on normally, and, and he's willing to, to be quite flexible with his formations and whatnot. And obviously he was brave by making the halftime changes here, but yeah, he's, he's got to get, he's got to find that formula, hasn't he? On, on home turf. You can't just pin it on the, the, the fact that the fans aren't there. You, that, that, that's a bit of a lame excuse. Really. He's got to, to find a way to, for his team to impose themselves on the other team for more sustained periods, or if not become a better counter-attacking team. Like, like Sam was hinting there, if, if that suits them best, you know, maybe nail that side of it rather than being caught betwixt and between. With, with Coventry, you can just, you know what Coventry about. I know that they changed back to the box midfield, but the style of football really changes for Coventry. Um, maybe maybe it's a slight identity crisis at the moment at the Den. What what do they want to be? And, and yeah, Rowett, I think he needs, he needs to have a good January, otherwise he'll be in trouble. I think he's completely right, Clarkey. I think Gary Rout's probably gone in there and in his mind wanted to change the style a little bit. And I don't know. I question whether the players are good enough to do what he wants to do. And maybe he's just reverted to type a little bit. Along with that as well, you don't half get out of, tr- get out of trouble when you've got two good strikers. And Millwall seem to have had that year after year after year, like Morrison and Gregory, for example. If the team wasn't particularly fluid, those two would return the goals to get you points. And at the moment, they're scratching around the front players. So uh, I think he'll stick with Bradshaw and Budvarsson because they've shown signs maybe in the last couple of games. But they need to hopefully strike up a partnership or he'll he'll have to look to improve. And, and the final thing, maybe it's time for Hutchinson, Wallace... Um, who's the other one, Cooper, to maybe go 
because you you have a bit of a shelf life and they, they've been quite hot for a number of seasons now. They're probably not going to recoup the money they might have done a year ago, but it might be an opportunity for Gary Rowett to completely rebuild. A quick question for you, Sam, here that is QPR related. It's come from JL on Twitter. They ask, how good is Sonny Dieng at QPR? Linked with a few Premier League clubs. He's been outstanding this season. IMO. I've not seen loads of him, but considering it's been a big problem area for a couple of seasons, he looks really composed, assured. Saw him recently at Brentford. Was very good. And I think that QPR have recalled a young goalkeeper from Hibernian, maybe, uh, in the last couple of days, which could be quite ominous for QPR supporters. So be a real shame, because like I said, I think that area has cost QPR quite a number of points. But maybe we'll ask Precy next time he's on, because that was um, pretty basic, Billy, wasn't it? Uh, by the way if you're a subscriber to The Athletic our colleague and my two stars co-host Nick Miller has been writing up some of the championship stars who could be on their way to greater glory in the Premier League including Bright SA Samuel good series and great players Uh, let's get some odds Tuesday night football with Bournemouth against Millwall producer Abby who is winning according to Paddy Power unsurprisingly it is Bournemouth who are the favourites 4-6 Millwall 7-2 and you can get the draw 5-2 uh, Kelly, last week we did our picks for the title. Sam chose Bournemouth. I'm led to believe you would be inclined to agree with him. Yeah, for me at the moment, I think there was a tweet that actually came in from a listener asking how good we thought Bournemouth were. Um, and for me, I watch a lot of the mother half um, is a Bournemouth fan. It's really interesting because Bournemouth fans will know there's an interesting rivalry between Bournemouth and Watford from the last time they got promoted. But for me, they're one of the best teams around the football that they play. I'd put them, Norwich and Brentford in a very similar bracket in terms of the real footballing teams in this division and Swansea as well from what I saw on Saturday. But Bournemouth weren't brilliant against Stoke at the weekend. And the fact that they, f- they managed to win when they weren't playing so well. Um, and when they do get forward, even in these games where backs against the wall a little bit, their attacking is just brilliant. Some of their play, some of the attacking players they have are really purring now. David Brooks um, hasn't had the best start to the season, I don't think, by his high standards, but he's getting back to his best now. All of a sudden, Bournemouth have got options there and they've got a little bit of strength in depth. And people have said over the last few seasons they can't defend. I think they can now. Begovic has been brilliant in goal as well. So for me, they're looking like the most complete team in the Championship at the moment. Yeah, no obvious weaknesses, are there, Kelly? No. I mean, home and away form, pretty solid. Um, no, no big difference there. Ten clean sheets. You, you said there, the, the accusation previously is that they don't know how to defend. Ten clean sheets is right up there among the best. And they've only failed to score in four games, which again is, is the joint best. So at both ends of the pitch, they're, they're very, very good, Bournemouth. They're, yeah, I'd be amazed if they're not in the top four. But... But top two is pretty competitive this season, I think. All right, Abby, set a course for League One. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. 
League One headlines. More COVID postponement. Zaki boss John Coleman says the season needs to be extended. He's right. Speaking of which, the EFL are going to conduct tests across all 72 clubs this week. On the pitch, six games happened. Hole back to winning ways against Charlton. Sunderland continued to chalk up draws. Plymouth and Bristol Rovers start the new year with wins. Uh, elsewhere, Oxford wallop Burton with new Brewers boss Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank watching through his mask and his fingers and then doing the post-match interview to say, I was not in charge of the team for this game. Uh, Lincoln also extended their lead <laughs> at the top after winning without their gaffer. Oh, and just after we finish recording, Joey Barton left Fleetwood with immediate effect. More on that this Thursday on Extra Time. Uh, as we have to these days, we'll have a quick chat on the COVID testing situ then. Uh, Clarky, last week you steamed into the PFA for their inaction. The EFL have responded to the recent spate of postponements by announcing they'll conduct tests for players at all 72 clubs. No money coming from the PFA for it, though. Thoughts? Well, they're poor, uh, if that's true. Just don't understand why they're sitting on this this cash reserve if they can't protect their members and their members' family families because it's, it's got to be in everyone's interest to to for for players that are asymptomatic to 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 find out they've got it so they don't spread it around the club so that so that other people and, and their respective families that don't get ill and and so that matches don't get called off you know I don't get it I don't know who is going to pay for this then but but it's good isn't it it's good news kind of needed I think if, if we didn't have twice a week testing then there's a, there's a possibility the season doesn't get finished in League One and League Two and, and no one wants to go down the points per game route again do they surely so so yeah it, it has to happen I mean I'm still I'm still wondering why these tests are so expensive I mean I've found a cheaper way 10 grand of, a week is the average cost there I mean it just seems it sounds extortionate to me I, I wish I, I wish I was a manufacturer of these tests you know you'd be making it making a killing wouldn't you it's um it, it seems overly expensive surely someone can at least subsidize it for, for the clubs um I think 43 of the 72 have now had at least one game called off because of covid uh, outbreaks so yeah it, it's something that that that, that needs to be done and players as well we're seeing we're hearing a lot about Premier League players breaking the rules you know, players have a responsibility don't they so they've, they've got to do the right thing just as everyone else is yeah luckily the government full of massive football fans so I'm sure they will step in and provide <laughs> some help soon uh, let's get to some football that did happen in League One. We'll start with the league leaders. Touch and go whether this game was going to go ahead with Lincoln manager Michael Appleton contracting COVID and the Dons getting a series of positive tests themselves. Uh, but it did get played. Lincoln won it by two goals to one. Kelly, you had an eye on this one. Was it just Lincoln's class outweighing the uh, the slightly readjusted Wimbledon side? Yeah, I think so. I think that's what it was ultimately. And Glyn Hodges did come out after the game and say there was a number of positives, just highlighting how many players they did have out. In midweek, he reported that they were going to be missing 12 players, five players isolating with COVID. They had four academy players on the bench. And he said after they didn't get played off the park, which when you've got that many players out, I imagine you don't really want to be playing the league leaders, um, do you? But I thought Lincoln were brilliant. Um, they were 1-0 up deservedly, um, very much dominating. Grant put the corner in. Um, it felt 
to tell you Eden on the edge of the area to slot home they did pull one back Ollie Palmer who was a bit of a nuisance the whole way through again Glyn Hodges said how positive um, he was and how many problems they caused the defence but I thought Lincoln were good defensively they were a little, it was a little bit more even at the break there was plenty of chances it was quite a good game for the neutral I had this one on and was kind of watching it uh, but Tom Hopper got the winner eventually also set up by Grant and I just think that Lincoln are, they've got the momentum now um, even without Michael Appleton there I was impressed by them it's very very tight at the top of League One but fair play to Lincoln taking advantage when other teams weren't in action um, I think they could be set for a good end to the season Chaps, have either of you two ever played without the manager being on the sidelines? Is it, is it like supply teacher vibes? <laughs> yeah, probably would be, yeah. Um, it was nice on, on the training ground when the uh, the manager didn't come out every now and again. <laughs> yeah, that was lovely. I agree. Yeah, I do agree. Both um, of you sitting here grinning. I can see you on this call that we're on. You're both oh, sitting here grinning like naughty little schoolboys. Football is, honestly, we're so, we're so childish. And, and if, yeah, if, the, if, the, if the boss isn't there, it, it's, it can be carnish, can't it, Sam? Oh, yeah. Glorious. I can't remember anyone not being there on a match day. Andy King used to sit up in the um, in a director's box, but you knew he was there because there was a big puff of cigar smoke around him. So he always <laughs> knew. And he'd normally come down, still with the cigar on the go, uh, <laughs> to the dugout at some point. Normally when you went 2-0 down early, and you, I could, I'd actually watch him out of the corner of my eye come stomping down uh, to, to join the staff. But um, yeah, I can't remember anyone not being there on a match day. Um, but that is uh, that is the sign well, of the times, isn't it? I suppose. At least they can watch it online now and influence it. I mean, this is something that wouldn't have happened when we were playing. For a tenner, though. Could... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> always expense that, have... I think. I'm sure, I'm sure Appleton can afford it. Um, but yeah, look, as, as West Ham proved in the Premier League and others, it's not the, not the end of the world not having your manager there and it can maybe freshen it up, can't it? On, on the COVID uh, outbreak, by the way, I just wonder what the difference was between Wimbledon not being able to call off a game and others and other clubs being able to. You know, obviously, um, a lot of games have been called off. Five players out with it at least sounds like quite a high high number to me. So. That's the one thing that has confused me a little bit, and it's the same in the Premier League as well. What is the benchmark? I know with the Premier League it's been saying fourteen players, but what is the number where it has to be called off? Do any of us know? Have, have, has that been made public? No, I had a look on the EFL website before we came on to see if they if they were um, saying that they were going to pay for these tests and what the actual rules are. And there is a very, very long, very woolly, not very clear statement from them about it, which is kind of fitting. Although, you know, in fairness, this is not something that, that is easy to plan for, I'm sure. Um, let's move on to hold to Charlton Nil, a fortnight off for the Tigers before this because of their postponements, but back to winning ways against the Addicts to end their run of three consecutive defeat. Sam, the stats say that this was a deserved victory, 16 shots to, to Charlton's four and, and Charlton supporters getting a bit a bit agitated with, with Lee Bowyer and what the team are producing at the moment. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult period for them. One win in six and I think back to, well, I saw them against Plymouth actually where they played well for 45 minutes and the, the Portsmouth game when they were brilliant October time when they couldn't concede a goal and I think Saturday encapsulated everything that's going wrong for them right now in that missing, I think it was Innes and Famewo was the, the lad on loan from Norwich. They were brilliant, missing those two. And they don't have enough of a creative spark going the other way. Um, the Bogle move is not working right now. They've got goals from the bench and around the team in Washington and an EK, but there isn't someone you'd, you'd, you'd bet your, your mortgage on. So... 
that's a problem. I'd expect them to get one, if not two, in uh, January. I think there's there's talk of one already almost over the line. So they'll need to do that and they need to get a centre-half. And if they can recruit well, I still think that um, you know top six is, is going to be the outcome for Charlton. But yeah, well beaten. Not helped, obviously, by Prattley uh, getting sent off around 60, 65 minutes, I think. And a really youthful... Hull City um, defence, given they had COVID problems themselves. But yeah, deserved the win. Honeyman, excellent. Wilkes, I think, was a large part of what Charlton tried to do defensively and it didn't really pay off. I think he he played actually on the other side to what Charlton had planned for. So that backfired somewhat and, and Hull City pretty convincing, despite, I think, in my mind, still not really having an out-and-out goal scorer themselves. Eves and McGuinness kind of flip-flop that role, but um, that might be an area that they need to strengthen. But yeah, really, really sound victory for them. Clark, did we make a, a mistake in not putting Hull in our contenders for the title last week? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think they'll be they'll be in the mix. I just... It may be. I mean, they're, they're, they're capable, aren't they? A lot of it might depend on, on what happens with Keane Lewis-Potter, actually. I know that he's on the the edge of the team at the moment. There's a big, there's a, there's a contract saga going on up there at the KCON where, where his agent and the player can't agree a new deal. And, and there's talk in the town that, that that's sort of unsettled the players, the managers denied that, but, but I think the players are basically saying, sort it out. We need this kid. He's really, really good. Um, whatever you do, don't sell him because it could, it could derail the promotion prospects and 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 look knowing Hull's ownership and 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 how bad they've been let's be honest um it wouldn't surprise you if they did cash in on on someone like Lewis Potter and sold him this month and, and that could derail could derail them so we'll have to wait and see but the, the break seemed to seem to do them good got their mojo back for this game and and yeah it was it was just one of those miserable ones for Charlton and the only thing I'll add to what to what Sam said is when I watched the highlights of the game and look, the body language of the Charlton players was really bad. There was a lot of gestures. There was a lot of uh, arm waving. There was a lot of shoulders sort of shrugged, pointing at one another. Yeah, just just sense there's a bit of frustration there. Kelly, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who's going to finish higher in the table, Hull or Charlton? On that performance and on recent performances, Hull. I thought Charlton were really poor. They kind of look like they've lost their defensive strength a little bit. And I think it's kind of exposed their lack of creativity. And I kind of had a little look at what Charlton fans were saying after that one. And there was a lot of frustration about the fact that when they were chasing the game, they didn't agree with Lee Bowyer's substitutions. As we know, a lot of football fans, when teams lose, they come for their managers and say, why didn't you do this? It's very easy to manage from the comfort of our homes, I know. But Marcus Madison wasn't brought on, having scored on Boxing Day. And I think that was a real frustration maybe for their fans, and also the fact that they had four shots in the game. That was four times less than Hull. I just thought it was really poor, didn't really show any any real massive desire to go and win the game. And kind of even when they were chasing it down, I never felt like they were going to get back into it. So, yeah, sorry, Charlton fans. I'm very much backing Hull. I think Hull, despite their recent form in the three games beforehand, I, th- I think they've come out the other end of it now. It was almost a perfect game for them, I think, really. Yeah, and you would have thought Madison would have come on with a point to prove, um, given it didn't really work out for him at Hull. Our final match from Tier 3, not that one, saw Bristol Rovers beat Blackpool coming from behind, scoring two goals in two minutes to do so. Sam Nicholson with this beauty to win it. Tries the header, drops back to him. Nicholson, that is a beautiful strike of the ball. Two goals in two minutes from Bristol Rovers. 
It's a victory that lifts them out of the relegation zone. What have you made of them under Paul Tisdale, Clarkie? Um, well, they're getting there. I thought I thought this was a match that that was really positive for Tisdale. Um, of course, he's vastly experienced up against Neil Critchley, who's not so experienced, not a senior level anyway. And I think that that almost earned Bristol Rovers the three points as much as the, the brilliant goal from Sam Nicholson. That was a worldie um, on the volley, sort of got his leg up high. It was a fantastic goal. But, but yeah, it was a slight tactical change. Blackpool were all over them, swarming over Bristol like a rash in the first half, completely unsettled them. And basically the message, according to Tisdale afterwards, was he got the message there, just make it, break up play, make it messy, go a bit more direct. But they went direct with it with a purpose. It was, it was good quality balls into the channels for Handel and the target man to, to chase and, and to knock down for, for the likes of Nicholson and Oztumer, who was, who was back available. I think he, on his day, Oztumer is, is a really exciting player to watch in, in this division. So, so yeah, he, he, he sort of outwitted Critchley in this game. And, and you look at those three I'm talking, talking about, uh, with Nicholson and, and sort of handling up front, Oztumer behind, that, that's, that's decent uh, at League Two level. So, yeah, I would expect them to, to come with a run and end up somewhere, somewhere in mid-table probably. Yeah, used to watch Oztumer at Dulwich Hamlet and think, what on earth are you doing here? <laughs> he was far too good for him. Um, Blackpool, Sam, 21 shots in this game and they only scored one goal. That would suggest that uh, there might be some shooting practice done on the training ground this week. Yeah, old York and Cole, Medine and um, <laughs> Yates need to pull their socks up. Um, yeah, loads of, loads of possession, loads of shots, as you say, Matt. And I think they had great spells in this game. Um and, and Clarky spoke about the Bristol Rovers' potential potency, I suppose, going forward, like the midfield uh, as well. Um, but there's not a great deal of steel in that Bristol Rovers midfield. I think Ed Upson's the one who's supposedly supplying it. And I um, remember Ed from my Ipswich days, beautiful footballer, and he's had a great career, but I don't think it's been based on thundering into challenges. So maybe that's why Blackpool did overrun them at, at times and, and, and get good opportunities. But I thought that Bristol Rovers defended the, their lead well uh, and the midfield four did did work hard within that as well. So, yeah, I don't think there's too much to, to, to worry about Blackpool from this performance. I expected better things from them and I'm still confident that they'll have a better second half of the season considering it is a new manager and a lot of new players. Yeah, two clubs really, Kelly, with untapped potential, I think, that both in the bottom half of, of the League One table, you think maybe not this season, but next when the respective managers have got their feet under the table, that they, they might be looking to challenge for promotion rather than looking down at the at the relegation places. Yeah, I did Bristol Rovers' FA Cup game a few weeks ago. Um, I think it was maybe the second game under the new manager there. And some of the football they played was brilliant admittedly against lower league opponents and it's clear that Paul Tisdale has got an identity that he wants to play there this season is all about just finish as high as we can get away from danger they're not going to be any trouble come the end of the season Um, and Blackpool every game I watch of theirs is really entertaining so two managers who have a clear style clear identity but I feel like there's quite a few teams in that division where we can say there's some good managers in there and we could say this about but definitely next season I think there'll be a little bit more expectation from their supporters on both of their teams. Uh, let's get some odds on this season from Paddy Power in League One. No midweek games, so let's just have top and bottom, please, Abby. What are their promotion and, and relegation markets looking like? 
Yeah, Portsmouth continue to dominate this. They are 8-13, to 13, uh, Hull 10-11 to 11, uh, there, so both odds on to get promoted this season. Uh, Lincoln, who we've been bigging up, are 7-5. to five. And then you scroll down a, quite a bit further to find Charlton, who are 9-2. to two. Even Sunderland are more likely, according to Paddy Power, uh, to be uh, promoted, uh, even though they just drew with uh, uh, with Northampton 0-0. Nil, nil. They're 9-5. to five. As for the bottom of the table, I scroll down and we find in relegation, most likely, unsurprisingly, it's Burton Albion. 2 to 9 and Wigan 2 to 5 and sorry Sam Swindon 8 to 13 and uh, Northampton 5 to 6 so all four teams there all odds on is it done no <laughs> never done <laughs> <laughs> all right that's stop for us today league 2 looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone well, luckily with 24/7 US based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. League 2 headlines, Carlisle take advantage of Newport's postponement to go top of the table whilst there are big wins for Orient, Mansfield, Crawley and Stevenage. Forest Green versus Oldham was abandoned mid-match because of bad weather. Mark Cooper took it well. It was difficult when he called it off with the fog or the smoke, not sure which one it was. But there's no crowd, not rushing anywhere, we can't go to the pub, can't go and see Italian restaurant, can't go and see Gran. So we might as well have waited an hour and to, to see what happened. If you look at it now, it's perfectly playable. And as predicted by Soothsayer Sam Paulhurst is the new old gaffer at Grimsby. Now, we mentioned that win for Crawley at Bolton. Yemo's not getting carried away, though. The good thing is we ain't going to go around now thinking that we're Charlie Bananas. Mm-hmm. We've got loads and loads of work to do. And when it comes to the inevitable end-of-season awards, Yemo's definitely getting Manager of the Year from us. Uh, let's have a look at Lake Norian 1, Salford 0. Only the second-ever meeting between the clubs. Danny Johnson's strike on the half-hour, giving the O's the win. Who was it who backed Salford to, to win the league last week? That was me. Sam <laughs> anything changing your opinion after this um, no I don't think so reason being um, I reckon he'll probably get a what's the phrase you always use in football um, a war chest, war chest is that what they, they call it <laughs> yeah. a transfer war chest yeah <laughs> I think they'll probably chuck some dough at it and that sounds bizarre but what Richie Wellens likes in a player is not necessarily what Graham Alexander likes in a player and whoever preceded Graham Alexander. So I think there's they, they're missing a few of the midfield players, Gibson and and Towel. Um, Ashley Hunt has been brilliant when he's been available. So there are mitigating circumstances to why the performance was so limp. But I think, yeah, I think Richie Wellens will probably be given the opportunity to bring some players in. And um, undoubtedly, they'll improve. He's a good manager. He proved that. He won the title, you know, his first full season with, um, with Swindon and did well, I thought, at Oldham in tough situations. So... They'll be fine, but well beaten um, at the weekend. Thoroughly deserved. Um, a full all-round team performance and the superstar DJ that my uh, BBC colleague Dave Victor refers to him as, which I always enjoy, but it makes me think of Kevin and Perry go large a little bit every time he notches. Um, but it was a brilliant goal. Just talk about the goal and then I'll let the others take over because I thought Clay's touch was unbelievable. 
Um, lovely pass into Johnson and the finish just sums up where he is right now. Top of his game, full of confidence. It's Clay, and here's Johnson. Oh, and he's found the back of the nets. Brilliant vision and precision from Danny Johnson. I think there's a good squad there. There's a good spine uh, at Leighton Orient. And with the goals of him, they'll be thinking about the playoffs. No doubt about it. Need to be more consistent away from home because there's a big contrast between what they can do at Brisbane Road. But yeah, I think a season where the fans can be optimistic, they can maybe sneak in those playoffs. You agree with that, Clarky? Yeah, no, I think they're capable, definitely. I, was, I spoke before about um, the firepower, about the fact that they've not made too many changes this season. So it's a team that's sort of grown together under under Ross Embleton during his sort of second coming as, as, as the boss. And yeah, no, I think I think they've got stickability near the top of the table. This was this was a big win for them because it's against a, a side that's really hard to beat. Salford have only fallen behind in four games so far this season, which is amazing. It's just ridiculous, really, when you consider well, every team's played. I think at least twenty games now. I think Salford have anyway. To fall, 24 1-0 behind on four occasions shows how solid they are. And you know what? I think I think this game probably ends nil-nil, but for Vigoro's save near the end, if Leighton Orient don't have DJ. Because that, that against a team like Salford, you have to take your chances when they come. And that wasn't even a half chance. It was a lovely turn, really clinical finish, just pure instinct really from Johnson. And it proves the difference. Take him out of that team. Orient don't score in that game and they're clinging on for a nil-niller towards the end. So, yeah, that is the value of having one of the division's best forwards. And and when you've got one of the division's best forwards, promotion should never be written off. And also, we have to give them a shout-out. We talked about Michael Appleton overseeing his victory from home. Ross Embleton was isolating at home as well. So there's obviously a bit of a trend here for teams doing well without their managers. It turns out the caretaker boss... Maybe they're a bit stricter than your your bosses that you boys had because you seem to enjoy playing without your manager around. <laughs> Have you seen Ross Kelly? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He's true. Not gonna scare it. He's not going to scare it. I know. Anyone. I actually I actually know Ross very well from when I worked at Bournemouth and he was an academy coach there. He's the nicest man in the world, though I'm sure he's got a slightly meanest meaner streak since he's become a manager. Oh, he's got a temper but, on the old touchline. Has uh, he? Has he? The uh, no, but on 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 that sort of theme, it can maybe liberate the players to some degree because because mm. the player you know the, the the big man's not there. Okay, they know he's watching somewhere, but they know it's a different you know that that voice is missing. So so maybe that they can sort of just play with a bit more a bit more freedom. I don't, I don't know. It, yeah, it, it worked for them, but this was a close game. And Sam's right, no disaster for Salford. Um, they'll definitely be in the mix for automatic. Four to seven to get in the top seven with Paddy Power are Salford. Um, yeah, it's it's like when Abby took that show off back end of last year and, and Ben filled in and we just go free, you know, just, just much more relaxed. Um, final match of the day to look at saw Mansfield leave their horrendous 2020 home form behind. They finally picked up their first win of the season at Field Mill, a 4-0 thumping over Port Vale it was. Jordan Bowery with his first career hat-trick for the Stags. Um, Kelly, call me crazy. I think Mansfield can make a late run for the playoffs. They're 11 points off it at the moment, I get, but they've got a deep, talented squad and, like Salford, they've got pots of money, so they could be busy in January too. 
for the first time probably ever and the last time, I'm not going to agree. I'm not going to call you crazy. <laughs> I'm not going to take that invite. Um, I'll do that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, I'll let the boys do that. I'll be the nice cop um, on my appearance on here. Yeah, I think under Nigel Clough, they've been brilliant. Uh, their win on Boxing Day was their first win in five games in the league, but such is the nature of the division. Teams are going to go on these streaky runs. Um, but now they've got their home form sorted. I also didn't realise how bad this home form was till I took a look. It was 10 home games winless. So that's their worst start to a season at, ever at home. They'd won twice at home in 2020 and that was their first home league win since February the 15th. I know we've had a pandemic and a break in between, but quite remarkable. But I just thought that Jordan Bowery got his hat trick long overdue. I thought he was brilliant. I like the fact that, I don't know if you boys heard this, his dad, Bert, was Brian Clough's first signing for Forest. And now Jordan is obviously providing the goods um, for Nigel. See, I like that. Um, Ollie Clark got his first goal as well. Uh, they got off to a brilliant start in this game. Um, admittedly, we do have to caveat all that with Port Vale really struggling. So it didn't flatter Mansfield at all. But Port Vale, you do have to wonder how much longer John Askey's got a hate calling for managers' heads. But he's under some serious pressure now. Made a triple substitution at half-time. And I think it took two minutes after the restart for his captain to get sent off. So... It kind of from forty seven. Made the wrong sub, didn't he, over. Kelly? Yeah. <laughs> you should have took him off. Yeah, so um yeah, I think we have to caveat all of this with as brilliant as Mansfield were, they're not gonna have too many games quite like Port Vale, because Port Vale really, really are struggling, I think, now. Go on then, Sam. Uh tell me why deep squad plus money plus son of God in the dugout <laughs> equals not promotion. God did you call him? Yes. Son of God. Um, <laughs> no, I like Nigel. I don't know, I just I haven't seen huge improvements there's not been a, a great pattern with the results I mean they drew it home to South End they've got back-to-back victories now which is brilliant but I just think they've given themselves too much to to do to be talking about a, a promotion candidate I think the biggest thing I look at that result on Saturday and I was part of teams that were mediocre to say the least or you know in the bottom half of the table sometimes those results happen and I think a lot of it was down to Port Vale being in a really bad spot right now, missing a number of players. So I think this was a probably quite a fortunate 4-0. Not to say they won't improve second half of the season, because I think they will. And I thought this was a really good performance, but I thought it was helped hugely by an abject Port Vale who badly needed a result. They've had one win in 12 and it was a, a 6-3, which I think Clarky or myself called a, a freak of nature, which has been proved right now. <laughs> on, on big squads... Um, okay, this season I get the notion that a big squad is a plus because there are so many games and you can rotate a little bit more than others. I mean, you looked at the bench in this game, Cook, O'Keefe, O'Keefe, um, McLaughlin, yeah, really good players at that level on, on the bench for Mansfield. But I sometimes think big squads are bad in that you can have a lot of players on good money that think they should be starting, and it uh, they're just too many. The maths doesn't work, and you've got too many players that are unhappy and that feel a little bit hard done by. I just wonder, Nigel Clough's a really experienced guy. If I was in his shoes, I might be tempted to, to trim it down a bit, but use the money to get you know the best 18 players available for, for next season, moving forward. Um, or best 20 players, rather than having 25 to 30 players that, that can be dropped in and out. I don't think it's always a positive. Uh, Abby, two of the teams we've been talking about, Mansfield and Salford, are due to meet this Tuesday. What are the odds according to Paddy Power? 
Well, unsurprisingly, the team that are four to seven uh, to finish in the top seven are the favourites. That's Salford City at two to one. Uh, and Mansfield, uh, just you know, for your interest, if you're throwing it out there, they're seven to one to be in the top seven. Uh, they're seven to five to win the match against Salford City. Have I made that complicated enough? Yeah, I'm not <laughs> going to be backing them at seven to one. I've got to say. Nearly time for us to go. Before we do, though, the important question to finish. It's been a weekend of postponements because of weather, which is great. I love it when the games get postponed because of weather rather than global pandemics. Uh, it begs the question, what is the worst weather you've ever played in or broadcast in? Uh, <laughs> Sam, you played in Scotland for a while, so you probably got quite a deep pool of games to pick from. <laughs> oh, broadcast. Huddersfield <laughs> Palace, I think it was. Midweek as well. And we were like, how are we going to get home? It was the thickest. It was a blizzard when we were trying to get a taxi to the station. We did some. I think we had to go via Manchester, but that definitely broadcast. Playing, I can't really think of any specific games, but a period in my life, my first winter in Scotland, I've never seen snow like it. From about December to February, we didn't train. I had a coupe Mercedes at the time. I lived yeah, in Hillhead. That's just what I was thinking. Yeah, of course. I lived in Hillhead, the west end of Glasgow, which, as you can imagine, had a few steep inclines. And I spent the first few weeks of the winter being pushed around by students who were coming out <laughs> of boozers and restaurants to try and get me home. It was unbelievable. So I just left my car for a few months and went everywhere on foot. And we played Hibs. That was the coldest I've ever been. The snow mounds behind the um, the goals. And then we played Celtic away on Boxing Day. I had a broken boiler and I had a mate up from London. So we spent the whole Christmas period going in the, the boozer opposite to use the facilities. The bell. Standing That's why you were going in there. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I played like as a number 10 at Celtic Park on the Saturday. And I ran around so much that I compensated for the cold and I was actually okay. But we conceded twice in the last minute. I was literally playing number 10 on the edge of my own box for 89 minutes. And we conceded twice. But... That period was just unbelievable because we didn't train. I was meeting the lads in a gym in Glasgow and going on a, a treadmill when Perth is some 80, 90 miles away from Glasgow. It was incredible. Um, Kelly, in terms of broadcasting, I don't know about you, but but the, one of the greatest tips I've received in my career is that at this time of year, if you take a little slab of cardboard with you and stand on that, it makes you significantly warmer. And can, I've been can, doing that, Matt. It's brilliant. Isn't what? It? Why has yeah. no one told me this before? <laughs> a box of celebrations. <laughs> a cardboard. Explain this to me, Matt. Mm. Uh, because you're normally on like a stone freezing cold mm. floor, aren't you? you just got that little bit of barrier between the soles mm. of your feet and the cold floor. It sounds like nonsense. You look daft taking a slab of cardboard into a football stadium, but try it. I don't mind what I look like in these kind of conditions. <laughs> I'll take whatever. I'm normally, I've just bought some new thermal leggings, which are fleece lined. I normally wear tights, leggings, jeans. I take an electric blanket. I take those little things that you can get um, off the internet that are the heat activated. When you take them out, the air activates the heat. I put them down my roll neck, the ones for your hands. I put two in my neck, two in my pocket. Um, I've got ones that stick on my belly and I normally put one on my back as well. And yeah, I'm still normally quite cold. I think I'm quite a cold person, to be honest. Um, but to be honest, and this is serious, and Matt, you can back me up on this. It's not just moaning about being cold, but actually when you're trying to broadcast, you're having to, you have to keep alert all the time. You have to be able to concentrate. And when you are that cold, it really can affect your concentration. So as much as we all jest about it, it is actually quite serious because if all you can think about is being cold, you're not going to notice that 
the tackle that's just gone in, why that red card's just happened. So I'm not expecting any sympathy to be able because obviously we're very privileged to go to games at the moment. But being cold at football is a problem. Um, Clarky, you're a you're a short sleeves uh, kind of guy, aren't you? No, no gloves. No Kieran sleeves, Tierney. No, nothing like that when you were yeah. playing. Total Tierney. Well, I'm not not total Tierney, but but yeah, I was a little bit. I would always choose the short sleeve because once you run around, you get warm. I never never really understood gloves at all for, for footballers during the game. Just don't get it because you, you run around for a couple of minutes, you you're fairly warm. So yeah, no, never did never did that nonsense. Never wore tights. Did you see Arsenal the other day? Five of their, about five of their players had white tights on. I couldn't couldn't believe what I was seeing. Were you a glove wearer, um, Clarky? No, never. No, no. You you couldn't wear gloves when you're playing football. No, I couldn't anyway. Were, were you, Sam? No, I wore all the gear up in Scotland, like yeah, cycling yeah. shorts and Under Armour and yeah. all that. But yeah. no, not not down here. Yeah, in in training, I'd wrap up and I'd, I'd just be like a Michelin man. But but no, in um, on a, on a match, the the less gear, the better, really, as far as I'm concerned. For me, the worst conditions were hailstones. Um, yeah, just just around. you just can't play on if there's a hailstone storm. It's just impossible. So yeah, two or three times I remember dashing in from matches that were sort of put on hold because the hailstones were basically just hurting too much. So, uh, yeah, that's the worst. And obviously wind, um, but but wind is quite comical when goalkeepers take goal kicks and they can't get outside their 18-yard box <laughs> because they blow backwards. Uh, so that, that, that's always that's, that's one of my favourite weathers, even though it's horrendous to play in. Abby, I think I've never really understood gloves would be a great title for this particular episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's about it for this week. Uh, thank you very much to Kelly for joining us again, and to Sam and to Adrian too. Mainly to you, though, listeners. Stay safe, stay warm, and we'll catch up with you again next week. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.